If you have your Bible and you're sitting here today, I invite you to open to Song of Solomon chapter 3. And some might say that I would be a little bit crazy to take on the Song of Solomon. Others would say, thank you for speaking to our times. Because when you look at the times that we live in and you read through the Song of Solomon, you begin to understand that he has a way of elevating in this Song of Solomon what is proper and what is really appropriate as God would see it and God would say it in the idea of romance and marriage. And so we consider today the wedding day of Solomon and his wife. They have been dating the last couple of weeks. We heard from Solomon, then we heard from his fiancée last week. This week we see them coming together in their, in their marriage. Now, let me say before I go further into my message today, that if along the way in this series, which lasts one more week, you feel that you are you are embarrassed or you're plowed under is a phrase we used to use. You think of a snow plow plowing along and it piles up snow and it, it covers you. In other words, if the truth that is revealed in the passage is something that you're not living currently in your life, that's what I mean when I use the idiom plowed under and you say, oh boy, I feel like chopped liver or whatever. I don't want you to feel like a loser. My objective is not to make anyone feel like a loser. My objective is to lift the Word of God for our generation that we might be able to understand what it says, then embrace it, then move forward within the context of what God is saying. So if you're sitting here today and you say, well, wow, uh, Kevin is, is taking on this passage, and you say, well, I don't know if I need it or not. Would you just say a prayer for me while you're sitting there? Because I know that I need your prayer, and I've got a feeling before this series is over, all, all people will see something that God will be saying to them. So listen for what God might say to you today. Gary Smalley in his writing said this, being one flesh, like it talks about in Genesis chapter 2, is a wonderful gift of a happy marriage, but it is only one part of a successful relationship. Security, meaningful communication, emotional, romantic times, physical intimacy, etc., they all come together like pieces of a puzzle to make a nearly complete picture of a fulfilled relationship. We have said very often, uh, Dave Holdren Cohen first, I believe, the idea of here's God and here's the guy and here's the gal. As we grow personally, individually toward God, you can see what's happening. We're growing closer together. And that's the idea of a marriage and a relationship. No matter how long you've been in your relationship, no matter where you find yourself, the idea is that you might grow closer to God and that you might be able to grow closer to your spouse. Pam and I have been married for quite a while. And as we've been married for quite a while, I know I found in my own life, especially during this COVID season, that I'm growing closer to God personally. And in doing that, we grow closer toward each other because her objective has been to grow closer to God as well. So I take this to heart and not just another message to fill another Sunday just so I can preach to you on something. Nope. But instead, I take it as something to embrace in my own life. So the Song of Solomon today is presenting four parts of the wedding day that show us that God places a high priority on the idea of marriage. And let's look first then at the wedding day. Solomon arrives in the passage Pastor Melanie read a little bit ago in a very regal chariot. Weddings are time for us to put forth our best foot, right? His best foot, because he is a king, was maybe a little different than what ours would be since we probably are not kings. At the wedding that he is experiencing here, he has a chariot, which is the equivalent of his limousine, 
And his chariot is made of imported wood, the scripture says in verse 9 of chapter 3, from Lebanon. He has silver posts, he has purple canopies, purple is a color of royalty, and he has upholstered uh, all kinds of things, including leather, that would make this a special, special ride that he is in. So when he comes out across the desert, the dust is stirring, and yet as he's going across the desert, his fiancée, his, his bride now, she will say to those that are around her, you've got to come and see this. It is a royal ride. It is an amazing ride. You've got to see what my king lover, she calls him, is coming out here to present and to get me. It is a wonderful way. Now, you can get married in different ways in different places. You don't have to spend this kind of money. You don't have to make it a big fanfare type of event. You can be very low-keyed and go to the JP. You don't even have to say it out loud, really. Just abbreviate the JP. You can go there if you want to, and you can still get married, and it's okay. You can get married indoors. You can get married outdoors. You can get married skydiving. Did you know that? You can do it. There's a picture of a couple that got married and included skydiving as part of that. He has a wedding that is fit for a king. Verses 7 and 8, he brings along his royal bodyguard. There are many of them, 60 to 70, and as they are going with him, they are armed and ready to do anything they need to to defend this guy who is the king. And so they are along with him. Someone has written, and I share with you these thoughts. God gives us spouses, and a spouse will change over time. Can I get a witness somewhere in the house? You've changed, right? So this means if your spouse is tall, you're into tall. If your spouse is 20, you're into 20. When your spouse is 60, you're no longer into 20, but rather into 60. If your spouse used to be skinny, you were into skinny. But now you are formerly into skinny. We are to pour our passion and pursuits of sexual pleasure into our spouses alone without comparing them to anyone else in a lustful way. And then I noticed something else here in this path that we take today, these four parts of the wedding day, and that is the wedding was blessed by many. The wedding is blessed by many. Solomon's mother, her name is Bathsheba, Bathsheba gave to him a very meaningful gift. Verse 11 talks about it. She has given to him a crown, it is a crown of joy and happiness, and she says, it is for the day his heart rejoiced. That is what she has given it for, as she is affirming this idea of a wedding. Now it is wonderful for a mother to be able to affirm the person that their son or their daughter is marrying. It is a good thing for a father to be able to affirm the person their son or their daughter is marrying. As a matter of fact, there is nothing like the right timing, the right person, and the blessing of a family when you come together for a wedding day. Can I get a witness in the house somewhere? Your parents and your family know you better than anyone else. And if they have a red flag, sometimes you want to make sure you slow down enough to consider what was going on. Solomon's mother had no red flag. She was excited about this. 
And the friends who were closest to Solomon and closest to his fiancée, they too were in favor of this. Look in chapter 5 and verse 1 of your passage. Let the Bible speak to us. The Bible says this, eat, O friends, and drink. Drink your fill, O lovers. They too are behind this whole event. They're excited about what's going on. They are into this. Now let me say this. If your parents were not in favor of your marriage, if your friends were not in favor of your marriage, but you still got married, now you are in your marriage, and whether they are for you or against you, you're married, make the most out of the situation you have now decided for yourself that you would be in. But let me also say this, which one of my friends uh, who helps me sometime in sermon development, I asked them, I said, what about this point and where I'm going with this? And they said, yeah, you know, it is interesting whenever sometimes people will get married out of spite. In other words, their mom or dad say, no, this isn't the one. So they have kind of a grudge match, and they say, well, I'm going to marry this person, and I don't care what you think. I don't need you to give me your affirmation. So they say you'll have that spite marriage. I want to say this. Somewhere down the road, you'll probably level out a little bit. You'll mature, and then you'll understand a little bit better by and by, and you might not be quite as uh, edgy (laughs) as you were on your wedding day. Let me also say this. Some of you are now Christians, and your family, they are not Christian. So if you're marrying another Christian, they may say, I don't like that person. Because the very idea of you being Christian and that other person being Christian convicts their heart because they know they should be Christian. And so they will say something. I'm not talking about that. But it's neat whenever the family can get along with you. You think about Sleeping Beauty for a minute. Sleeping Beauty is a fairy tale of our culture, right? Do you remember Sleeping Beauty? If you do, say yes. Yes. A few of you say yes. Princess Aurora and Prince Philip, they are friends. They are romantic. Their families are all excited. One day there will be a wedding. It's exciting. And then something happens, right? Something happens to Princess Aurora, and she gets banished to the woods for a while. You remember that? She is out there for 16 years. You remember, don't you? Yeah, she's out there for 16 years, and what happened? with her Prince Philip. He falls in love with her while she's out there, and then he thinks, oh boy, I'm getting ready to fall in love with somebody I shouldn't. He goes back to his dad and says, dad, I fell in love with somebody out in the woods. And they are like, oh, what's going to happen? And then you know what happens? Here's what happens. They finally realize, wait, it's Princess Aurora. And she's able to come back after a banishment of 16 years, and they are able to get married, and they lived Amen. (laughs) What about my fat Greek wedding? My big fat Greek wedding. Some of you watched that, and you remember the dad running around with Windex all over the place trying to cure everything. You remember that? For some, it's WD-40. For him, it was Windex. Cleans everything. What a nut job. But he wanted, his his son-in-law had to be Greek, right? He had to be Greek. So the boy has to make some adjustments. Or what about while you were sleeping? You remember that? While you were sleeping, whenever, <laughs> you remember, whenever they think that she is uh, engaged to the guys in a coma. I don't want to steal it if you haven't watched it. It's so old, you should have watched it, but now if you're going to. But uh, anyway, she is saying, oh boy, I really am not engaged. I just rescued him when he got, you know, on the train tracks and was unconscious or whatever. It's interesting to see the whole family was behind that whole event, right? My point is it's good to be able to have your friends with you. 
And then let's notice the evening of the wedding. The Song of Solomon talks about this. As a husband, Solomon sings her praises. Solomon sings her praises. Go to chapter 4 and starting at verse 1 and following, you'll begin to see that even after, listen, even after the wedding, he continued romancing and nurturing his wife through his words and through his actions. You remember we talked about the love languages a couple weeks ago? Words of affirmation must have been something she appreciated because he was pretty free with giving them. Now this is what happens to a lot of my Pennsylvania friends. If we're not careful. You're good at hunting. You know how to hunt. Most pack and carry here. And so you do know how to get the real stuff and go out and look for the deer. And you're sitting there in your stand, and Bambi's oldest brother comes by. We wouldn't want to hurt Bambi, but his oldest brother comes by, and his oldest brother needs to meet Jesus. And so you're up there, and you see Bambi's oldest brother, and you're able to put forth and Bambi's oldest brother falls down and says, let's visit. And you go over and visit. And then you say, I want to mount this thing up on the wall. You tag it. You bag it. You put it on your wall. You look at it every once in a while. And you remember. You still with me? You still? I'm all the way on this side of the stage now. We find a girl, we put on our best game, we talk her up, we build her up, we tag it, we go to the church and we bag it, and we put it up on the wall, and we look at it, and if we're not careful, we say, I did that, what's next? And we forget to romance the very person we said I love you to. And I'm talking about more than just in physical intimacy moments. I'm talking about in life moments. It's very quiet in here. Verse 1. Your eyes are like doves. Your hair is like flocks of goat. Her teeth are like shorn sheep. He's using idioms and metaphors she would understand, right? A little bit of old-time stuff that he would use. Her lips are like scarlet ribbon, your cheeks are like halves of pomegranates, read on, you see all the things he talks about, how she's made, and down he describes also, by the time you get to chapter 10 through 15, and into chapter 5, verse 1, he describes how clean she is, how beautiful she smells, how sweet she tastes, that's again, exchanging the 80 million germs through a kiss, and then we see that Solomon has got it. He doesn't use a bunch of critical words toward her. He builds her up that she might love him back. And they try to outdo each other in week one and week two of this message series. Notice something else. In these verses, he does not ask her to change herself. Instead, he accepts her and sees the beauty in her, in that. And it's wonderful. And so the bride begins to talk, and what does she have to say about all of this? She refers to her body as a garden, as a vineyard. Some of you are putting together your gardens. You would understand the metaphors. 
And so she says to Solomon on their wedding day and on their wedding night, she says, I am all yours. I'm holding nothing back. She is not bashful about being a rookie in this place of the bedroom. She is going there. And the Bible says that marriage is a good thing. And I'm going to teach you some from the scripture from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says this in Corinth. Now you must understand something about the culture of Corinth. Corinth would have some smaller churches around, some churches, and they would have these churches, but across a courtyard, not much further from here than to the back row, they would have houses of prostitution. So the culture was very corrupt, and the culture did not understand boundaries of relationships. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 2, it says this, but since there is so much immorality, Paul says, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. Notice that the gender isn't confused, it just makes clear what's supposed to happen. Supposed to have a wife and supposed to have a spouse. That is for those that are not called to a single life or a season of singleness. So why does he say this? He continues on in verse 4. And this is from the NIV, they've updated it a few times, but from 1984. It says it this way, I like the way it phrases this because I think it is clear. The wife's body does not belong to her alone but also to her husband. Now, guys, don't stop right there. The wife's body does not belong to her, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him, but also to his wife. And the scripture says, if you continue on in this, and I've shortened it for the sake of our time today, but if you consider on in that passage and the reading of it, you will see that it says they should not come apart. Speaking of the uh, sexual side, should not come apart, except for moments they would agree to pray, where they would be praying for a specific something, and they should come back together eventually at agreed upon time. And the reason for this is that it says in that passage that the guy will not be tempted, that the gal will not be tempted and lured away by something that might pull them out, like pornography, like someone else at work, like someone else at your high school reunion, that type of thing. That is what that is talking about. Good preaching, Kev. Keep going. Keep going, baby. Keep preaching. Mm. You're preaching like you'd want somebody to preach if you were sitting in the audience. Okay, keep going. And I read about a guy who fell in love with his lady, who was a beautiful voice, and she was a singer. She was an opera singer, and he had gone to the opera, and he heard her sing, and he was getting really excited about it. And they had a whirlwind romance and were married almost immediately, and upon that marriage and everything else, whirlwind courtship, a honeymoon begins. It's their first night. They go to the hotel, and she disappears into the bathroom, and then she removes there her, her false eyelashes, her wig her glass eye, her false teeth, her makeup, and everything else that's uh, false. And she reappears to the door and she asks, now what do you think? And he says, sing, baby, sing. That was what he said. So Solomon wasn't that way, nor was his bride. They celebrate the gift forth of virginity on the wedding night. And I speak to you candidly about this. Chapter 4, verse 12. Chapter 5, verse 1. Verse 12 of 4 says this. Your, guard, your garden is locked up, Solomon says. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. 
chapter 2, verse 7, she was encouraged not to awaken this part of her life during that time. She was urging, urging, encouraged in chapter 3, verse 5, to wait until her marriage. And she, on her day of marriage, was considered a virgin. And she was able to be married and consummate with eagerness with her husband, Solomon. I realize today that here and online, I probably am talking to many people who do not remain virgin. I'm talking to some now that are single, and maybe you're active in this part of your life. There is an encouragement that I would give to you, and it is what is called in the marriage covenant and in the dating covenant, and that would be what's called second virginity. And what it means very candidly, very, very straightforward is that you vow from this time forward to wait until you are married, until you would engage again in this part of your life. I don't know your story. I'm not embarrassed talking to you about this. I don't want you to be embarrassed talking back with me. We're friends. But I'm teaching you what the scripture is talking about. And this is how God planned it. In Genesis chapter 2, this is what God says. He says, for this cause, talking about marriage, for this cause of marriage, a fellow, a lady, they are supposed to leave their home, so the first word is leave, then they are supposed to cleave, that is come together, then the scripture says, and, and create their own home, then the scripture says they are to become, excuse me, one flesh. That's the order. A lot of times we get this around and the guy doesn't need to put a ring on it if he has all benefits, including this area of life, without the ring. And you can just say, no ring, no thing. If you want to, Kevin said. No, God said. Use God, not me. Dennis and Barbara Rainey said this. Obviously, God's not down on, on the sexual pleasure in marriage. On the contrary, that is the only kind of sexual pleasure he sees as good, and he blesses. So I just share this with you very candidly today. It takes um, the assurance that God is calling you to message series like this to stand here and preach this in a culture that absolutely today believes opposite of this. And no matter where you have come from, and no matter where you will go from here, all it is my duty to do is to present to you the truth and let you know that the truth will set you free. It is up to you what you choose to do with what I share with you today. But if you want to live according to what he has set out in the scripture, this would be the path you would want to take. So I asked two questions in messages like this, I sense some of you want me to go further. If we were just guys and then just gals, I would go much further and someday may lead a retreat myself at this church on this type of subject because I think it's too, too relevant to miss. I would ask you, what is God saying to you today? What is God saying to you? The God, the God you're going to see down the line when you die, what is he saying to you today and what do you want to do today about what you think you want to do and say to him then? Well, then that's what you want to do today. He'll give you the courage and the strength to do whatever it is and the understanding. And we've got people that have come to us and said, you know what, we're living together and we're not married. We really like to get that taken care of. 
We have pastors. We'll take care of that. You can get your license this week probably. And uh, we can have you married by next weekend in a private ceremony. And you can have a public one somewhere else when you want to. But you can get that all taken care of right now. So I don't know your life. I don't keep track of who's what. Um, I just don't do it. I look at you and see you as wonderful people. And I love you all. Every one of you. Now I want to land with something a little less serious. <laughs> Newlywed farmer and his wife were visited by the mother of the bride. She demanded to inspect the place. The farmer tried to be as friendly as he could to the new mother-in-law, hoping for a peaceful relationship. Wouldn't we all wish for that? Oh, yeah. But she kept nagging him every opportunity that she wanted to see the whole place, and she offered unwanted advice, making life almost unbearable. They were walking through the barn one day, and the farmer's mule suddenly reared up and kicked the mother-in-law right in the head and killed her right on the spot. I shouldn't laugh, but it was not the best. <laughs> kind of feel sorry for her, only kind of. At the funeral service a few days later, the young farmer stood near the casket, and as people walked by, the pastor noticed that whenever a woman walked by and whispered something to the farmer that he would nod his head yes, and he'd say something. When a man walked by, he would nod his head no, and he'd whisper something to him. The pastor wanted to know what the farmer had said, so he asked him, and the farmer replied this. He said, when the women would walk by, they would say, what a terrible tragedy, and I'd nod my head yes, and say, yes, it was. And when the men would come by, they'd say, can I borrow the mule? And I... <laughs> And I would shake my head, no, it's booked for a year. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for the privilege of coming together today. And look at your word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We thank you that we can together without being divisive, argumentative, or threatening one another. Consider what you say to us because we love you. We love you a lot with our whole heart and we need you. We want you. We want your blessing on our life in every area of our life. So, Lord, we pray that you would lead us in the way we should go and that we would follow you as closely as we can because we want your whole blessing in our life, in our homes, in the testimony our relationships are to other people. So some of these areas are more private and, you know, we don't talk about them as much. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Be with those that might be frustrated in this area of life that I've just talked about today. You don't know what to do with it. Help them be able to talk about it in privacy without becoming combative and seek to meet on a happy ground that would be able to satisfy both. Lord, I really pray that. Because frustration in these areas can create discord in a home. Would you be with us and let no weapon formed against any of us prosper? But may every home here, every family, every person be blessed by your presence. And live according to your word. In Jesus' name we give you thanks. And we pray, amen.